Hey, this is Eugene Rapkin, and you're listening to the Style Zeitgeist Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm back with the fashion critic and journalist, Philippe Hashemi, and as has become our tradition, that I must say a lot of people are asking for, when is the next podcast with Philippe? about the fashion show. So here we are. There's been a bit of a delay because this time actually we reversed tables. This time I was in Paris and uh, Philippe, you weren't, but uh, you, I know you watched it closely. So welcome back. Thank you, Eugene. Always a pleasure to be here and very happy that you managed to go to Paris because you really wanted it. And that's nice. It's a nice feeling. I, I did. Yeah. And it really was, you know, aside of everything we're about to get in. So in a minute, uh, it was really great to be there and to see the clothes in person, uh, to not only attend the shows physically and see the clothes in motion and see the backs of the clothes, sides of the clothes, you know, all the stuff you can't see in the pictures and even the videos, um, the video certainly gives you a better insight into things. But to be there and then to go to showrooms and feel and touch the clothes, it was really nice to be back. First time in over two years. Yeah. Um, but let's start with Milan. And of course, uh, you know, everything happened in the shadow of war uh, yes. in Ukraine. And there is no avoiding that topic, nor should we avoid that topic. Um, so let, let's start with Milan. And, you know, I wanted to get you a sense. The war broke out. Russia invaded Ukraine while the fashion week was happening in Milan. And from the sidelines, you know, what were you seeing? Well, I mean, at first I have to say that like many of us, I was, you know, deeply shocked, uh, revolted, angered, touched by what I was seeing happening in Ukraine, especially because I happened to know quite a few fashion people there. And I traveled to Kiev on a few occasions. So it, it felt very, very close to me uh, in that sense. And I have to tell you that I was really, really outraged by the way uh, people seemed to be ignoring it somehow at the beginning in Milan. It was kind of no acknowledgement from designers, no acknowledgement from guests, from press. And uh, it sort of made me feel very uncomfortable I remember, you know, turning on the Gucci live stream, watching celebrities like chit chat, air kissing. And I kept thinking, is this really happening? I mean, is this for real? You know, it was very, very uncomfortable uh, to watch that. And until some powerful voices like Armani or, you know, others started to acknowledge that there was something going on and started to incorporate that within their, within their shows. I felt that um, fashion really disappointed me on that level. It was, uh, it was very sad. And I felt a bit ashamed as well to be part of that industry because I felt it was surrounded with clowns and people with no compassion uh, just looking at themselves, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. I just don't want to be part of that industry if that's what it is, you know. So, yeah, that was my feeling yeah. at the beginning of Milan. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I completely understand. And I think I agree. I think it took fashion 
a bit of time to catch up because all we were seeing is you know, a look Rihanna Asa Praki over here and Kim Kardashian taking a selfie with at Prada, at Prada, you know, which, I mean, we keep saying that Prada is over, but now it's beyond over. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's buried, yeah. it's buried and dead and, and corpsed. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's buried under the weight of Kim Kardashian's celebrity. Yes, yes exactly. Because <laughs> there's, it, uh, yeah, I, I felt the same sensation and I love what you said on your Instagram you know, fashion cares only about itself and even though we saw much more uh, in Paris uh, I question how much of that was genuine yes um, and we will definitely uh, get to it and get into it in a second. But I still want us to talk about fashion as absurd as it may sound. Uh, at this point, uh, I wanted just to briefly in Milan to give, take your gauge on a couple of shows. And I agree with you. I think Prada is like beyond done. I really don't know what's going on there. It's become very repetitive. I mean, you know, he's hammering the same silhouette all over again. It's about shoulders. It's about protection. In a way, it's quite military. So you could see that there is a relationship between what he's designing and what's going on right now. But it feels devoid of, you know, it has no wit, no charm, no sex appeal, no subtlety. It's kind of in your face, so I'm not really. I, I don't really look at Prada anymore. I, mm -hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to buy Prada. I just feel that it's it's become quite poor, you know, as a brand and yeah. uh, quite one dimensional. So mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. find it that uh, interesting any longer, you know. Yeah, I agree. And one thing I want to really highlight on this podcast, on this episode, something I've been talking about, and. It's no, we've been talking about it, but it's this disconnect between what's on the runway and what's actually in stores and what people are wearing. And I think Prada is a prime example here. Yeah. All you see is just black nylon with logo on it on the street. You never see it. So the show is almost besides the point. Because, you know, you actually have to order the runway looks. They're not produced. So you have to go into a store, say, oh, I want that bomber. And then this guy just takes his, his phone or whatever and he starts looking where he can find it for you. So they have to locate that look and then ship it to your store. So it shows how little of that they, they produce now, almost nothing, mm -hmm. you know. But there's other houses that, that do the same, like Louis Vuitton women's wear, hello, doesn't exist, you know. I mean, 75% yeah, of it will never be produced. It's just, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so how much faith are we supposed to put into the brand's show if the brand has no faith in the show itself? Very true, yeah. That is the question uh, that I have to ask and for for people to ponder, because uh, I completely agree. Every time you walk into a product store, uh, 
<laughs> which I know I've promised you to do, but I still <laughs> have not done that. But I swear one day it will happen. Um, but all I see in the street and, and when I have walked in is just, you know, this black nylon with the Prada logo on it. It's nothing else. Yeah. And, and those boots that everyone's wearing, just like the extension of that uniform. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's on, it's a few items that are successful and they're driving they're driving the business and they're talking to new consumers, possibly younger consumers. But when it comes to very elaborate runway looks, nobody's interested, you know. Uh, you could say the same thing about Dior. I mean, the collections are so poor on a design level yeah. that, you know, it does have a client. I mean, that's the thing that is quite sad about it. It does have a client, mm -hmm. but not somebody who has, you know, big expectations, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, I was talking about, it's funny you should say that, I was talking about that with um, uh, Lord Scully in Paris, and he said, I find it quite amazing that everyone is catering to this sort of young, high beast clientele, and it really opens a void for real designers and brands to fill, to, you know, yeah. to catering to maybe people who are slightly older mm -hmm. but also have more money and are interested in real fashion design and want to wear interesting things um and someone has to get in there and maybe that's the opportunity for independent brands that's true but then look at brands like Vero or jill sander you know they're they're successful in their ways and they're sort of replacing mm -hmm this kind of Phoebe Philo story. But actually in Milan, I think Bottega and what Mathieu Blasi is doing is going to fill that gap because he obviously worked for Phoebe Philo before at Celine and you saw a lot of things in common that they have in the vision. So maybe Bottega is going to become that kind of, you know, uh, brand for people who are looking for that sort of product. Yeah, mm -hmm. it could well become well, that. What did you think of, what did you think of uh, Matthew Blasi's I liked it, actually. I thought it was kind of pared down, uh, emphasis on craftsmanships, beautiful silhouettes, interesting backs that had this kind of couture uh, volume idea that you saw in a lot of other shows, this kind of dramatic back that was nice. And also, you know, this idea of something looking like denim, but it's leather, a tank top mm -hmm. made out of leather, like a lot of fabric research in a way sounds a bit similar to what Hermès does, you know, because Hermès does fantastic mm -hmm. things with levers, uh, paper thin, things you could never imagine are made out of skin, you know? So, um, yeah, mm -hmm. I think he's kind of pushing that that wave and he's, he's very creative. I think he's a great designer. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. excited to see how he's going to develop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also think he's a wonderful designer and I think there was so much goodwill from the fashion industry when he was appointed creative director of Bottega because he spent so much time in the shadow of Ralph, especially yeah. you know, in the shadow of Daniel Lee. Uh, and it, it, I think the entire fashion industry felt like it's overdue that he takes over house, just like his partner, you know, Peter Mouillet. Mm -hmm. took over Alaya, which was also, it's our new fashion power couple, but they're actually designers. <laughs> yeah, <know>? they, yeah <laughs> they are, and they are, and they are, and they should be supported because of that. They are really yeah. going to work, you know, 
trying to do something new and trying to design things and research and innovate. And for that reason, yeah. it's nice to know that they're being supported. So they should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, having said that, I found the show a little bit lacking, you know, and maybe because my expectations were too high, and they probably shouldn't be for a first show, maybe of any designers as they're finding their footing and trying to figure out uh, in which direction they will take the house. But I was just contrast, maybe because I was also contrasting with the first show of Daniel Lee, mm -hmm. which was such a strong statement yeah, and it kind of really jumpstarted Bottega uh, that first show where people wanted to buy the clothes yeah. and obviously there's the footwear as well and the bags everything and here while I definitely saw some great ideas uh, you know in silhouettes but we've seen those silhouettes before uh, these are not new um, I did expect a bit more and maybe if I have seen the clothes uh, in real life, it probably would have had a bigger impact on me. Um, but maybe because the Trump loyal effect was so strong mm -hmm. on pictures, I was like, oh, yeah, it really is with jeans and white shirts. <laughs> like, you, you have to be really get up close yeah. to see that it was really leather. But I certainly have a, a lot of goodwill towards him, and, and I really think... I think I, I, I understand what you're saying in the sense that um, Daniel Lee had a vision which was from the start quite uncompromising, quite strong, quite radical in its own way. And I think Mathieu is maybe not that person, but at the same time, maybe it's going to speak to more people and it's going to be a bit more democratic in, in that way. Mm -hmm. And also Bottega's clothes under Daniel Lee were not always easy to wear, you know, and sometimes oh, yeah. they were for a very specific body type, especially menswear. Mm -hmm. And maybe uh, Mathieu is going to challenge that. So I think it could open up the brand, uh, you know, not just, not just with accessories, but also with actual clothes. So that yeah. Bottega is a bit more inclusive that way, you know, so let's see. Yeah, yeah let's see. Yeah, I, I hope so too, because they have an uncommonly high ratio of selling footwear and accessories to clothes. I think it's like 65% footwear and accessories to 35, which is huge. Incredibly yeah, huge. high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Com even compared to like, you know, the likes of Gucci, like Gucci sells way more clothes than that. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you. Uh, Hopefully, they will start selling more clothes and clothes that actually people want to wear. Because um, to be honest, like the bags and the footwear are kind of becoming sort of the, the basic fashion bitch yeah. uniform, you know, where I kind of see them in New York and I'm like, yeah, I see the bag, but then there's also the rest of your outfit and, you know, I kind of, I, yeah, you're certainly just bought the, the bag. Yeah. You're not interested in Bottega as a proposition. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and That's, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I did buy last year uh, a pair of those Chelsea boots, mm -hmm. uh, but I quickly decided that I will only wear them in the street and like never, never to any fashion <laughs> events. <laughs> That's why. 
Because <laughs> it's like the te- the Margellus tabbies, right? You're like, I can't look at that anymore. Yeah, it's becoming a cliche. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Total cliche. So I made this rule. I'm like, okay, you know, Monday through Thursday, <laughs> like in the street, it's fine. But not, not to any fashion. It's like... Context changes meaning. Yeah, That's what I've written it about does. a long time ago. It does. There's nothing you can do about that. And I'm curious to know what you uh, what you thought of Armani's gesture because you know doing a a silent show is is very Kawakubo. So how did you feel about mm-hmm. that? And did you actually look at the show because it was kind of interesting? Uh, I have not looked at the show. I'll be honest. Uh, all my respect for Mr. Armani's trailblazing is Armani at this point. So I haven't got a chance to look at it. But as a gesture, it was very powerful, I think. And I thought it was, uh, to be honest, I thought it was a way more powerful gesture uh, than what Demna did at Balenciaga. You know, there is something about silence that is powerful yeah you know and i was thinking i was thinking about Wittgenstein's famous adage you know uh, that one shouldn't know of things one cannot comprehend one should be silent of i'm paraphrasing i don't remember uh, but it really has struck me because None of us really understand the horror of war mm. fully. Yeah. And to see fashion first ignore it and then rush into it uh, and championing Demna as some kind of a fashion saint for putting Ukrainian flags uh, and a statement for putting Ukrainian flags on chairs. None of that sat well with me. And I've been trying and I've been trying to think why and why I thought Armani's gesture was more powerful. And I really and I and I think that Wittgenstein's quote really has come back to me. You know why I think again and again. I'll tell you why I think it was powerful because I I completely agree with you. I think the biggest difference is that Armani took something away uh, from Mm -hmm. his show. He took the music away. And the music we know is a very important element. You know, it gives you so many clues about what you want to say. And sometimes the music can be more powerful than the clothes themselves. So, you know, it can give you more information. And I think by taking that away from from the show, he made a statement about restraint, about silence, about respect, about, you know, removing something to highlight what was going on. And I think what you found disturbing about Demna and what I also found very disturbing is how literal the whole thing was, you know, from his opening Mm -hmm. statement to the way the models were dressed to the backstage flag t-shirts and everything, it sort of all became a little bit contrived, a little bit exploitative. And also Mm -hmm. my problem with Balenciaga is that, okay, you have those messages, then why is Kim Kardashian sitting front row, like taped up, Mm 
in some logo horror? And why are you teasing uh, an Apple collab or what looks like it, you know, on the runway mm -hmm. when your message is about refugees? I'm sorry, this does not sit well and it's not coherent. So I think what mm -hmm. Armani did was, okay, guys, I will show you. I didn't change the collection. I will show you my collection. But by taking the music away, I'm making a statement about what's going yeah. on outside. I'm telling you that it's not business as usual, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that's what I would have liked to see a bit more in Milan to go back to this idea. People having these kinds of gestures, which are quite elegant gestures. That's the thing with Armani. Yeah. You like him or you don't. He has this kind of, you know, in Italian, you would say eleganza del cuore. It's like the heart's mm -hmm. elegance, you know, mm -hmm. to do mm -hmm. something that symbolically speaks volumes, but it's silence, you know, and that's, yeah. that's yeah. powerful. You know, it's a strong thing to do. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. I completely agree here because I think when you look at something in silence, it makes you contemplate it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also liked what Rick did with music, even though he kept the music, but, but he changed the music because it was supposed to be like some acid bass, some kind of another hard hitting number. Mm -hmm. And he changed it to Mahler, yeah. uh, to a, a symphony by Mahler. And listening to that also made me contemplate, you know, sitting at that show. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it really put me in a different mood. And again, it's exactly what you said. These gestures were abstract, mm. whereas Demna's Balenciaga was so in your face. And it was such a media moment. It's like everything again was made for Instagram. Yeah. And we know he's very good at that. And his team is very good at uh, making these, you know, ready-made, shareable Instagram moments. And Honestly, seeing him, that picture of him backstage with Kim Kardashian hanging out, you know, uh, you, I do question the integrity of the whole thing. Yeah, that's, my, that's also I, my I problem. It's, you know, I do, there's part of me that wants to believe that Demna is sincere. There's part of me that wants to, you know, uh, have compassion because he was a refugee because you know he lived things that I never experienced so that's part of me that wants that and then I look at the whole setup and everything else that's happening around it and it's just so wrong it's just so wrong and and this image of of Kim of yeah of Kardashian getting wrapped up in tape backstage by I don't know how many people for me it's like completely obscene that was the most obscene image i've seen the mm -hmm. entire fashion week it was really for me i agree you know it was like the last days of marie antoinette i mean that's really how yeah. i felt watching this and i, I kind of thought okay this is everything that's wrong with fashion today and the world in general yeah. as you say everything becomes a media opportunity you know so mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. it so then we are removed from what events actually mean and we are completely yeah. disconnected from the reality of things, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And did you see the video of her walking? She was like a robot. He could, she couldn't even move. 
because she was yeah so, so what kind of statement does that make about a woman today <laughs> unable to move exactly. you know logo to death like i mean yeah i, I don't you know it's uh yeah it's the same as the Joe Feminist T-shirt. It's the same story. It's like, exactly, it's actually yeah, an yeah. insult. It's an insult to women. It's an insult. To I women. agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. First, you cover her into this burqa, like completely erasing her yeah. at the Met Gala. Yeah. And and then you do the opposite. You just literally wrap just her as into bad. Auto. Just as bad. <laughs> just as <laughs> bad. Like, yeah. You know, and then she walks like a robot. And okay, it's Kim Kardashian. You know, there is nothing left natural of her. No. You know, the whole thing is a robot. But uh, uh, this was just on a whole other level. But I tell you this, Philippe. You know what rubbed me even more the wrong way? It's not. I don't know Demna personally. Mm -hmm. It is my opinion based on everything I've read and I've heard from people with first knowledge. I think he's a quiet, cynical person. I think his brother is way more than he is. So I don't know how true this narrative about being a political refugee is in terms of what he actually experienced. Uh, I am also a political refugee from the Soviet Union. And okay, I did not flee the war. I fled anti-Semitism. Never once in my life have I advertised that fact. Yeah. Because I don't think it's important. Yeah. Uh, to my life in the United States and the life that I've built for myself. And I will certainly never use it to my advantage. You know, okay, I did not flee war, I fled anti-Semitism. But never ever have I, you know, I even forgot no, about I know Like a couple of years, <laughs> someone had to remind me. I have a friend of mine who lives in the Netherlands. He's, he's a war refugee from Serbia and he told me that he felt uncomfortable uh, because of the way Demna used that. And he, he said to me exactly the same thing you're telling me right now. He said, I would never emphasize that. I would never use that to, you know, to any kind of advantage whatsoever. So morally, it's also uh, problematic. Yeah. I agree. But, but what was even worse for me is the Western fashion media's reaction. Everyone was falling over themselves to annoying Demna as the new saint of fashion. Poor suffering soul working for one of the biggest brands in the world, you know, getting to do whatever he wants to do. And to me, honestly, it's a very familiar thing. Mm -hmm. It's this kind of Western neocolonialism kind of thing. Yeah. Um, virtue signaling, mm -hmm compassion in virtue signal through compassion actually instead of respect yeah yeah that's what rubbed me the wrong way everywhere like because when i posted on my instagram that image of uh kim kardashian in, in tape and demna in ukrainian flag a lot of eastern europeans wrote me in support and say like thank you for saying westerners just a couple were like, oh, you know, how how can you say that you don't know? And I was like, oh, maybe I know a little bit better than you do. But you know what's interesting? If you really, if you rewind to the start of Fashion Week, day one, and Anthony Vaccarello showed his collection for Saint Laurent in the evening, which I think was the best he's ever done for the house. 
It also spoke to me about the zeitgeist and what was going on, but it spoke to me because it was very pared down, a lot of black, very mm -hmm. simple, very elegant, but not in your face. For him, extremely restrained and quite strict. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, in a way, was more emotional than that display, you know, that we saw in, yeah. in other shows. I felt that the restraint I experienced, uh, you know, with Saint Laurent and also with Rick Owens, that kind of mm -hmm. emotion with the music and everything about the clothes and and some of it was also quite minimal, you know, so it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, almost like Rick going back to his roots, you know, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. That kind of simplicity for me felt more respectful than this kind of farcical, you know, or oh, let's, let's play costume party thing, you know, let's put the flags on, let's, you know, let's put the tape on yeah. and, and show we care, you know, yeah. that, yeah. that to me felt wrong. But what yeah. Vaccarello and Owens did that, f that struck the chord, you know, for me, it was really like, yeah. okay, I know, I know you're aware of what's going on, but it's not your position also to to be a politician you know it's also like i mean with fashion there's always exactly. this, this fine line you know yeah. how much fashion exactly. yeah. yeah yeah exactly what it comes down to is what you said about her money you know it's it that it's tact hmm. you don't have to throw everything into people's faces yeah. even though we feel in the world that feels like maybe you have to because there's such a barrage of information and media and you constantly have to create these media moments. Yeah, but I felt that especially with Rick, Rick has so much tact. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, he is a very elegant person yeah. inside. Yeah. And he just switched to music. Mm. And, 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 and you read his and you read his press release and you know it was a very self he said you know yes we have to question what we're doing but i think that with beauty and elegance you can take a certain stand or position it's a position it's a position but i think it's a position that um that is the most respectful and um, dignified and decent, you know, it's decency. It's the most decent thing you can do in that moment. And I think Giorgio, Rick, and Anthony, they, they have this. They have this kind of moral mm -hmm. decency, which means that they're never going to, to deliver what Demna did. That's the big difference. And when you talk yeah. about elegance, I completely agree. This decency also has a lot to do with elegance, you know, mm -hmm. or what mm -hmm. I see as being elegance, you know. And um, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that's why I felt Saint Laurent was so powerful. It was elegant on the runway, but mm -hmm. it was also pared down, and it was also very, yeah. very chic, very timeless, you know. And very. also, Rick, it, it felt like the clothes were never in your face. It was kind of poetic, you know, and, and soulful and emotional. And yeah, that's yeah. exactly what we want from fashion. We want fashion to respond in a way that is 
elegant, you know, or appropriate, I guess, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. I think appropriate is the right word here. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's what what can you do as a fashion designer that feels genuine, apropos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it feels genuine. It feels apropos. Where you're not over stepping your boundaries, because listen, we're not working in hospitals. <laughs> we we are working in fashion. We and that's what Rick said. You know, our concern is aesthetic expression. Hmm. What can we do to do that to reflect the zeitgeist? Yeah, and I think he's done it so well. And I agree about Saint Laurent. I think this was Bacharel's best show. I hope he he tones down the sex. And listen, let's face it, the sex was there. Hmm. It was very Parisian. Yeah. Because you don't know what was under all those long coats. <laughs> no, there was... And I had a feeling there was nothing under those long coats. It was actually extremely French. Extremely French. Very French. And there, very Paris. And there was also this thing that I've seen in other, other shows, but I think he did it the best. It was this kind of uh, tension between hard and soft, you know? So you would have like a full length motorcycle uh, coat paired with like a chiffon dress. And it was beautiful to look at just the movement of it. And you were constantly reminded also that women are both, you know, this extreme strength and this, this kind of backbone. And at the same time, this fragile dimension. I, yeah. I thought that was so beautiful. It was really spot on. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> Kim Jones, one of our favorites, tried to do that at <laughs> Fendi. He tried to do hard and soft as well, but yeah. it was clumsy and it was forced and yeah. it was contrived. And I think it's very difficult, you know, the simpler it gets, the more difficult it is because achieving Absolutely. powerful simplicity can is the most difficult exercise for a designer, you yeah. know? So, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Anthony did it. It was powerful. It was strong. Yeah, yeah very strong. I completely agree. And I think that's where you see that Kim Jones is not a trained women's wear designer. No. And he's struggling. You know, th this was a hype appointment. And now Fancy is, uh, uh, you know, reaping what they've sown. Well, LVMH, rather, you know, not, not Fancy. Um, but... Yeah, to go to uh, you know to go back to uh, Rick and Baccarella, I agree it was Baccarella's best show, and I hope he continues in that vein. Um, and with Rick, of course, I mean, we've said it all. I feel it's almost like besides the you know, there's nothing to add to Rick, but it was an incredibly elegant and quietly fierce. Mm -hmm show yeah. you know there, there was there was a kind of a indignation mm -hmm. you know a quiet indignation because what what can you do how many russian paints have any fashion shows stopped right yeah all you can do is display that kind of a you know, sort of quiet uh anger disposition which is again way more tactful and respectful in the face of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Again, the response of some our some of our colleagues really was disheartening. Where I thought, guys, you need to think deeper than that. You can't just and, and what I feel, 
and I'd like to get your take is that we as fashion journalists are so starved for anything of substance that we just automatically jump at these things and blow them up to the nth degree. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we know how cynical the system has become. And we know that even an atrocious war can become an opportunity for a brand. And that's what, oh. that's what I find truly disgusting at the end of the day, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah that's for me that, of course, you know, uh, fashion is always a reflection of what's going on at a precise moment in time. But what's interesting, I guess, and what was so fascinating this season was how designers got on with it, how they tackled that situation, you know, yeah. and how much of reality were they willing to integrate within their world. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah. again, what I, what I wrote on Instagram earlier about fashion only caring about itself, I mean, at the end of the day, it's quite true, you know. Uh, it's a very yeah. self-referential closed world. And not a lot of people can see beyond that because that's all there is. Yeah. You know, that's all there is. Yeah. My first thought was when I started seeing this whole damn the Ukraine thing on Instagram, I thought, okay, why don't you, Balenciaga the brand or damn the person, donate the part of your proceeds from this collection to Ukraine? Mm. And on top of that, why don't you, don't tell anyone. Just do it. Yeah. Don't 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 create media value, brand value. Don't make these empty all these empty fucking gestures. Oh, we're pulling out of Russia. That's not because you are politically conscious. That's because you can't ship your goods to Russia okay. anymore because there is an embargo going on. You literally cannot send your fancy clothes into Russia, which is what you've tried. You know, the Italian government has tried to carve out yeah. at first yes. uh, an exception for, you know, for sanctions to export. This is what's really happening. Don't turn this into a media moment. Mm. You know, that's, that, is, that is the definition of cynicism. Oh, we pull, we're pulling out of Russia. We're so virtuous. Bullshit. You're pulling out of Russia because you, you can't ship goods into it. Hmm. And you're all going to be back as soon as possible. We know that. But you know... That, that that's the cynicism. At, at the end of the day, that's kind of a little bit my question. When you're a designer in such a huge corporate group, how much control do you have over marketing? And how much control do you have over people who want to generate those kinds of opportunities, you know, that we talked about. Mm -hmm. As a designer, a single designer, do you have the power to say, well, I don't want Kim at the show, you know, because I, there's part of me that right. even wonders if this has anything to do with them now, you know? Yeah, no, I, I hear you, but I'm sure some of it does. I mean, you didn't have to make that statement about Ukraine and advertise it everywhere. I, I Listen, I hope something good comes out of it. Mm -hmm. I truly, truly do. I truly do. Uh, but, uh, but what I'm seeing is that people will be buying Bal Balenciaga duct tape for $200 a roll next fall. That's what I'm seeing. <laughs>
And another thing to go back to my and you know, and the clothes we saw on the runway, we've seen them. Yeah, we've seen times. them thousand times before. Nothing new there. You know, no. the, the, there was the from design point where whereas with brick and with Vaccarello, there was design. Yeah, there were new things and proposition. There were new things. It was all. It, it was mostly the same thing. No. mostly there might have been some news. It was hard to see, and I thought actually watching. Looking at the pictures again, I thought actually the coolest thing about the Balenciaga show that that you couldn't really see the clothes, <laughs> from the, and there, there was this sort of like element of mystery um, that I thought, oh, that actually that's cool. But the whole thing, you know, the, the leather trash bags, how? No, come no, on, no, 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 come on, you cannot go there. It's perversion. No, you, it's perversion. No, that's horrible. That's horrible. No. Yeah, it, it's, it's no. That, that's kind of, that's sort of what I'm telling you. It it's obscene. You know, that's really for me that word yes. obscene summarizes what this has become, and this industry in many ways has become obscene. And I think it's high time that people reinjected some moral values into it because seriously, yeah. it's gone to a point that it's. It's not even funny anymore. It's just pathetic, you know. It's it's not. Yeah, it's, it's pathetic. I agree. And and our colleagues are complicit. You know, we have to like the, the yeah, thing they are that, because of the power, the power of money, the power of you know, yeah. the power of those brands. They're just extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. That automatic praise for that show. And then I went into the Balenciaga flagship store in Paris. I said, I'm gonna go. And I am, because I want to be as objective as possible. Yeah. Uh, there's no runway clothes in that store. Which one did you go to? They're like you went to the one. I went time? to on on uh, Rue Saint Honore. Right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I and for one piece of runway, it's twenty logo hoodies. Ninety five percent of Clothes in that Balenciaga flagship had a Balenciaga logo. Yeah. Even the tailoring. I was like, do you really need to put like logos on tailoring so everybody, you know, the, the best idea in the entire store was the same first idea from the first show, you know, with the little, with the nipped waist and mm. exaggerated shoulders and hips mm. with those inserts. Which, by the so way, Nicolas Gesquier did first in 2000. Yeah. That, that yeah. nipped, because if you look at Fall Winter 2001, you will mm -hmm. see that he did that shape, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of funny. Yeah. And, and the rest was just really cheap looking, like really like what poor people wear, you know, dusty with holes, shitty fabric, 600 euro t-shirts. Mm. 900 euro hoodies and it was just this is a disservice to fashion this really is you know that at this point I, I really like honestly i really don't know don't know what to say and, and people who buy it they really should have they really should think twice you really think about what you're buying when you're buying uh Disheveled. No, logo. but that, that customer only looks for one thing. It's validation from others. That's what it's all about. It's just 
trophy clothing validation purposes. That's what it is. You know, it's, uh, yeah. Fashion only cares about itself. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 besides all of that and besides, you know, what happened there, I think um, some of our collections managed to respond to the moment in a way that was... Mm -hmm smart and interesting and i feel sakai for example i mean we're going to talk about probably japanese designers mm -hmm. but sakai was in paris yeah. and i thought that was a beautiful show and um, the clothes were great and she really has her own language and you know it talked to me a lot about protection also about mm -hmm. color about something comforting and i think in a way she also responded to what was yeah. happening without saying anything you know without making any statements just just yeah. the clothes were, you know, powerful enough uh, to do that. Yeah. So I, I felt Sakai was also quite strong this season. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I agree. And, and being there and seeing the, the clothes in motion, uh, it was really impactful. Yeah. I think it was absolutely one of the best uh, collections of the season. And it was a step forward. It, while retaining the Sakai language, mm -hmm. it was a step forward in terms of silhouette, yeah. uh, in terms of that clash uh, of fabrics that she does. Yeah, again, it felt like very protective, mm -hmm. uh, respectful of women. Yes. And uh, I went to the showroom and I and I looked very carefully at the clothes and the constructions. Mind it's beautiful. So. And Sakai has become one of those brands where it's like it's one of the few brands where I feel like it's something worth paying for. Because yeah. you, I mean, we know everything is expensive, but at least you, you see like, the work. Okay, this is worth. Yeah, yeah, you see the work. For. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you do. And those, uh, like those uh, bralettes they had uh, that looked like bralettes, they were actually cut out from the coat. Wow. And sort of reworked in to uh, into the garment. That's amazing. It, it was it was really it was really really cool. Mm -hmm. Again, like a statement that at least somewhere fashion is still alive. That kind of fashion. <laughs> and and yeah. I, yeah, yeah. And we've talked about it with you, and I, and I still like you feel hopeless on the one hand, but I, I, what I keep looking is like those moments where I feel like, okay, there is still something worth championing. Yeah, because these you know? designers that we love, in a way, they keep pushing themselves. They keep pushing their own limits, working against them. They keep looking for something. You know, they keep constructing, they keep changing. And yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. And that's, that's how it should be. Yeah, it's really yeah. inspiring, and it's uh, and it's it's funny. It's maybe, maybe it's jumping a little bit ahead, but since we got onto Sakai, you know, Tokyo Fashion Week happened as soon as Paris stopped, and to me, man, what a confirmation of how powerfully creative the Japanese designers are, and not having them in Paris except Sakai and Yoji really showed how the Japanese make Paris look good. Mm -hmm. Because actually, some of the best shows were Sakai, Undercover, Junior, and Noir. I think those four shows were out of this world in terms of creativity, yeah. but also very 
zeitgeist. You know, like uh, undercover and junior, especially this going back to punk aggression, hard edge, the kind of anger、um, you express, but also the technical mastery of design. It all just blew me away, and and I and I thought, you know what, the Japanese. Make Paris look good, and let's face it, Paris has by now has a really long tradition of tapping foreign talent because Paris is tapped out.、Hmm. And the best look, the worst shows were Louis Vuitton, Hermes, Chanel, Dior, and Givenchy. <laughs> All the heritage Paris fashion houses,、yeah. with the exception of Saint Laurent, were the blandest, most boring. Shows it's true. I think there were you know that happened in Paris especially. Then the Japanese showed up, and it was just an incredible pleasure to watch them. It was strange actually with Hermes because I I looked at the show, I looked at images, everything, and I kept thinking, is she trying to do sexy now? Is she trying to do young or? You know all these like kind of fishnet things and stockings and sexy leather, and I just kept thinking it doesn't really sit well with the brand. So I don't really know.、No. But again, you know, I didn't go to the showroom. I didn't see the clothes. So、mm-hmm. I guess if I saw it in a showroom context, maybe I would think of it differently. But it felt a little bit awkward. I would say for for Hermes. Totally. And for the rest, yeah, I agree with you. I think the Japanese have a sense of defiance and a sense of rebellion that、uh, felt very good right now, felt very alive.、Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a kick in the butt. It was nice, and、um, really, I love Yunia. I mean, every time Yunia touches,、cool. he's kind of obsessed with you know late seventies, like. From Blondie to punk to all these kind of, you know, he's、yes. always going to gravitate towards that. So there's, there's that anger is always there, you know. Yeah. And yeah.、Uh, but this time it was very intricate and kind of Victorian,、Incredible. Victorian punk. You know, it was this kind of mood, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. which I think is、yeah. really nice. But just in terms of technical mastery, I mean, we know Junior blows most designers out of the water when it comes to technical. But this time it was, this was it was more. It was like volumes <laughs> and pumping、yeah. it up and making it bigger, you know, and more statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was almost like you know red carpet. Somewhere <laughs> it was that weird. It was like seriously. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. kind of like <laughs> red carpet pump. Yeah, 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 it was. <laughs> so、uh, yeah, it was quite dramatic. You know, it was dramatic. That's the thing. That's what I like about <laughs> about yeah, him. I, All I kept thinking, like, what a shame that I could not see it in person. That would have been great. Yeah, yeah, that would have been great. Really, and so we would love to go to the showroom also and touch all the clothes and see how they're made. I mean, we have an idea. I haven't seen it in person a lot, but yeah, I can't wait for that stuff to, to come to back. Yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, I. I can't wait to buy it for antidote. I'm like <laughs>、yeah. salivating. <laughs> And、um, what did you think of Dries? Hmm.、Um, well, I guess there were some pieces that I saw in that kind of, you know, images of that sort of setup where people could go, and he recreated this whole environment. Uh, where you could see the clothes on mannequin, things like that. 
I I don't know, Eugene. I sometimes it feels a bit nostalgic to me, but not not in the right way. You know, that it's sort of like nostalgia, but um, but kind of escapism as well, and not really facing what's going on outside. Um, mm-hmm. So I I like some of the clothes, but to me they feel a little bit too much like this kind of vintage story. Mm-hmm. And I have to say at the moment, I have a problem with embellishment and I have a problem with girly things and I have a problem with mm-hmm. big prints because I just don't find them appropriate right now. I just don't find right. them right for the moment that we are in. Um, it's not exactly a moment to celebrate, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. I felt... I felt it was kind of disconnected, uh, beautiful, but disconnected. I don't know what you thought about right. it because you saw it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm of two minds. Um, first I saw the lookbook and I thought this is really beautiful. Um, I'll give Dries a discount because on, on the side guys this time, uh, because probably the collection just like, most collections, they were made before yeah. Russia invaded Ukraine. Yes. So I'm willing to give him that discount. Although, of course, we can talk about coronavirus and all the other things where it's it hasn't been festive for a while. You know? <laughs> um, so I liked the lookbook. Then I went to the presentation and seeing it in that space and on the mannequins, I thought, what you thought? I thought, you know, this is actually becoming a bit outdated. Yeah. Uh, and it's all a little bit too madame. Mm. It's a little bit too bourgeois. Yeah. Bourgeois. And you know that when you walk into Dries's Antwerp store. You know, it, it, it's very bourgeois. It's beautiful, but it's actually, you know, we keep talking about Antwerp of this like academy, hotbed of creativity, very gay friendly and all that. But there's also, you know, Belgium is very bourgeois, you know, and, and there is this really bourgeois, con- you know, uh, contingent in Antwerp. Yeah. And you, and you, and I especially see that in Teresa's store. And it was, yeah, it was all a little bit too Saint-Germain mm. uh, when you were looking at it. And so I, I get what you're saying. But when, I, when you look at the lookbook, and maybe this is a testament to the talent of the team, the way it was styled, when you see it on young girls, and the way it's shot, and what they picked from the collection, because mm. there's a lot of other stuff at the presentation that was not in the lookbook. Actually, in the collection, they picked a lot of it was the least embellished pieces, mm. you know, and, and, and more of that narrow silhouette rather than the sort of matronly drop shoulder oversized that Dries likes to do. Yeah. So I thought it was curious how you can take the same brand and really sort of spin it one way, but in reality, it's actually not exactly what it is. So... Again, context matters. Yeah, I know. When I spoke, 
No, also, I feel that it's wrong to do two separate things in that sense, to actually mm -hmm. do a lookbook that hints into like one direction and then to do this presentation in a place that to me sounds quite loaded with meaning, you know, mm -hmm. to do these two things when in fact, I said it before, just go back to the runway, do a show, you know, give us casting, yeah. give us makeup, give us music and make your statement and make something that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Why are you not returning to the runway? I, I, yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't either, because I agree with you. It is more powerful than the runway. Because right? that presentation, it was, it was all quite staid. Hmm. You know, it was all quite a little bit mothballed. You know, yeah, and it, it kind of looks, it kind of <laughs> looks like an, a museum or an exhibition. You know what mm -hmm, I mean? That's mm -hmm. a bit like, yeah. that's why it gives you this feeling of, not of death, you know, but it gives you this feeling of, Oh, you know, visiting grandma's attics, you know, in, yeah, in yeah. Saint Germain. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit mis, a little too, you know, not exactly Miss Havisham, but yeah, you know, your 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 grandma in Saint Germain. But know, was, I yeah. know that Dries has always struggled with this when it comes to women's wear. That the women mm -hmm. who actually buy his women's wear are not twenty five, and they're not teenagers. Right. You know, they're forty plus, and that's it. You know, yeah, and. Uh, yeah. It's not the same for guys. Like guys, you have teenagers buying drinks, you know. It's like a totally mm -hmm. different recognition somehow. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's not it's the same true. audience at all. No. Yeah. So maybe they need a bit of a rethink in terms of, you know, how, like, how to design, really. Uh, or, because I, I, I spoke with another prominent buyer, who shall go on name. Mm -hmm. But she also said, like, we, we're having trouble selling trees. Yeah. Because young women don't want to buy it because it automatically makes them look old. Yeah. And they don't, they don't want nobody, to. They don't want nobody to wants that, especially if it's a U.S. buyer. <laughs> but, you know, another thing as well for Dries is that he's launching perfumes now in beauty and everything. So it's becoming mm -hmm. like a bigger business. And there's more yeah. pressure. And you have to please more people. You know, so you have yeah. to make more money. So at the end of the day, like, okay, you, you, you know, you know the story. When you go to his showroom, you could dress like 55,000 women there. I mean, all personalities are represented. But when mm -hmm. it comes to the runway statement, you would expect something very clear, a strong storytelling yeah. and a strong vision. And unfortunately, without a show from him, we lose on that thing, you know, and that mm -hmm. makes it hard for us to really judge what he does, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Well, hopefully he'll return to the shows. He should. And I really hope the Japanese will come back in June. Would be nice. For men's shows. Would be very yeah, nice. Be really, they, they really round up. It, it did feel a little bit in Paris. I felt the void. Just, okay, because of course, so much I love about fashion is coming from Japan, but I really felt a void this time in Paris for someone. Oh, my schedule is usually a bit more busy and, and in a good yeah. way. And so I, I do hope they, they come back. Um, what did you think of uh, about uh, J.W. Anderson and Loewe? Well, I'll tell you my feeling about Loewe. 
a lot of people found it amusing because it dealt with the absurd and it dealt with surrealism mm. uh, and it dealt with, you know, pop art, Schiaparelli, all those references, pop mostly. Mm-hmm. And people found it funny. I found it quite, um, quite disturbing in a way. And I also thought it was kind of ugly, but deliberately ugly. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the absurd, but the absurd in a dark, um, in a sort of in a dark, sinister way. And I'll tell you why I felt like that, because when I saw the, the car dresses come out, you know, these like cars yeah. that were sort of, fused with beings it immediately made me think of crash the movie mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know crash is a story about people who are risking their own lives and obsessed with the idea of being in a car crash and that mm-hmm. sort of for me it was this darkness that i never really saw in jonathan's work before that was quite mm-hmm. interesting you know but I didn't really know what to make of it. And everybody was like, oh, look, it's so funny. It's absurd. It's funny. Mm-hmm. But I didn't find it funny. For me, it spoke mm-hmm. to me on a much more sinister, lethal level, you know? Uh, but yeah. that was my reading of it. So I couldn't fully enjoy it that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the curse of being uh, well educated in culture. <laughs> you make those connections. No, but did, did you find it funny or not? Uh, no, I did not find it funny actually. Uh, and yes, I did find find it a bit absurd. Uh, and there was definitely that JWA quirk in there with the balloons. What I found disturbing was that one dress, so it was, I think it was two different dresses with you know with the mouth, like yeah. like very red. That I found disturbing rather than amusing. Because mm. um, it was this kind of like uh, almost you know praying mantis kind of like this is sexy but then it will bite your head off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, way, yeah. Or it could uh, also be a statement about commodification. I mean, at the end of the day, it it was a smart show because it raises a lot of questions, and I think he's definitely changing as a designer because he's taking us down roads that we haven't really seen before. But yeah. he's leaving it deliberately ambiguous. I feel you know. Yeah. And that sort of makes it difficult for me. I mean, knowing his sense of humor is Irish, you know, so he's quite sarcastic as a person. Sure. I would I would say that it's about the sinister aspects of life, mm-hmm. but that everybody else is going to read it as goofy and funny and weird, you know? Right. But right. to me, it's more about the darkness that lurks within, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. what, and I find it quite, disturbing also on a I don't know a kind of sensory <laughs> level it was bizarre yeah mm-hmm. yeah but maybe that's why he wanted you know so it's yeah maybe yeah. yeah no I thought it was uh well at least it was worth thinking about and that's all that's already a plus it, as opposed it was to intelligent like, yeah definitely. definitely yeah as opposed to 
quite a few shows. Yeah, we haven't got to talked about this whole like Gucci Adidas thing. Is it even worth talking about? I mean <laughs> <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> yes. No, you have to you have to tell me what you hated in Paris. That's what I want to hear. What I what I hated in Paris, uh besides Balenciaga. <laughs> uh what I hated was uh, uh the virtue signaling. Uh I, I unfollowed one um, prominent fashion editor who wrote on her Instagram. Oh, and after the Hermes show, we went and protested against Putin and in in the safety of Paris. And you know, she didn't say it, but I'm saying it mm-hmm. uh, in the safety of Paris. And and she posted a selfie. It wasn't even a picture of protest. And I was like, I, I really don't know what to say to them. I re- we went from a mess, darling, to a protest in Paris where we feel totally safe and unthreatened. And here's my virtue signaling for all of mm-hmm. you on Instagram. I mean, come on, like where, where, where does this? And so I just unfollowed that person. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I really don't need to see this on Instagram. It's tragic and horrible enough without, uh, yeah, without that. Um, and what I'll say, uh, what I didn't like in terms of the shows, uh, yeah, the usuals that I already mentioned, uh, I really think Esquire is kind of lost. Yeah, what was time. that? I mean, what, I no what was that? Please, come on. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't understand. It, it's uh, not flattering. It's not new. It's not interesting. It's not even ugly. It's just sort of, you know, random it looks random it's just like you know it really did yeah Yeah. and i don't get it because this woman clearly does not exist there's no woman in the world that dresses this way she's (laughs) yes she's a pure illusion she's basically i don't know marry amelie's fantasy of what a woman should be i have Mm -hmm. no idea but I find it so unnecessary. And I'm thinking about the amount of money they spend on the fabrics, which are so expensive, you know, just yeah. putting it all together. And the models look like crap. I mean, they didn't even look, mm-hmm. they didn't even look like they were enjoying what they were wearing, to be honest. You know, you look at them and no. they look as clumsy as the clothes. So I'm just thinking like, what is the point, you know? And I think mm-hmm. Vuitton, Women's wear really needs some new blood, by the way. It really needs, it really yeah, does. It needs a new yeah. creative director, ASAP. Yeah. 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 I was thinking and I wonder, you know, so much credit is given, you know, especially to uh, Maria Grazia uh, for Dior's increasing sales. My favorite. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, your favorite. I mean, that was another. That was re- that was her worst. I think that was her worst collection yeah. since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And I think people need to ask themselves: Is it the power of the designer or the brand? Because I think it's the brand. I think with all the brand awareness, relentless advertising, 
sales that are 90% of makeup and bags and Influ- influencer brainwashing all the yeah. yeah all of that like like i don't know you could put a dunk in there and probably it would be the same thing like i really don't think the designers are actually that important and i think you see that in you know in a place like chanel where they so we'll, we'll just bring someone from the team out into the open and they're going to do whatever it is they do and it and it just doesn't matter but you know i always think like if i were a museum curator and i would be looking at my gracias Dior, what the hell would i collect from her <laughs> I don't know. what the I hell really would don't. i choose because you know yeah. pleated skirts denim like you know i don't know it's like I yeah. mean, at least the couture, yeah, there are things maybe I could pick there. But the ready-to-wear is so poor in terms of vocabulary mm-hmm. and, and language that, you know, uh, I would struggle finding something yeah. interesting or relevant. No. No. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Givenchy was another disappointment. Uh, I really don't know what's going on there. Uh, and who buys it? Messy. I'd love to know that too. I don't know who buys it. Actually, actually, I think it's one of the brands that they cannot really turn around after T-shirt. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I just don't think Matthew's comfortable. Over there. The longer it continues with him, unfortunately, the more the brand will lose its identity because mm-hmm. already on the Claire it was quite messy and there was yeah. not a yeah, clear yeah, direction, yeah. especially yeah. in the women's wear. So. It, it's, yeah. It can only get worse, you know? I mean, it. Yeah. what does Givenchy mean today? I mean, it's like, it's like Fendi know. women's wear. What is Fendi women's wear, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. And I'm kind of like, I'm supposed to like this copy direction, of course, but, but the execution is not there. Yeah, and Matthew has talented people around him. You know, he has fantasy ponies now. Yeah. Styles the show, but, but it's not enough. You know, he, he needs he needs a good ideas of how to make Givenchy modern and how to make a couture house modern. And it's not by, you know, wearing t-shirts with Givenchy one on top of the other. Talking about Tishi, what did you think about Burberry? Because that's the latest that we've yeah. seen. I wasn't pleasantly surprised. It was another pleasant surprise and I'm so happy. And so you could tell three shows ago that Burberry finally untied his hands. And now, because I was down on Tishi, but I couldn't, with the beginning, but I couldn't figure out whether it's him or the management. And now I am certain it was the management. Mm -hmm. Because what I've seen for the past three seasons, I'm like, okay, now I'm seeing Tishi. The real and... This was an excellent show. It was, it kind was strong. Of yeah, very strong. Strong, like gothy, aggressive, but not overly aggressive. Uh, and there was design in there, and I love the silhouette. And, and there was a statement. It wasn't bland. No. There was a statement. And, and fine, I was like, finally, make a statement. Like, take a risk. Take a risk. Mm. Have someone disagree with yeah. you. It's okay. You can't please everyone. 
That, and that's what I wanted T-Street to do. I mean, that's what I want any designer to no, do. No, <laughs> I, I totally agree. I thought it was very almost confrontational in a way, and but in a good way. And also the darkness in it reminded me of its really early days in London, you know, and what he used to present. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was spot on. And he knows how to do this really well. He can do this kind of yeah. sinister chic, you know, very well. So, yeah, he's good at it. He's good at it. Yeah, no, it was sort of a nice finale, I guess, if there can be a finale to the season, because obviously it's all over the place now. Yeah. You know, we haven't seen, not that anyone cares, but we haven't seen Celine. Uh, True. <laughs> uh, see the menswear. Yeah, see the menswear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was enough. <laughs> I don't want to see the, I don't actually, I don't want to see another existing one collection ever again, but. We have to look so professional obligation. Yeah, we haven't seen what Tom Brown's going to do. I'm quite curious. I think this uh, show will be in April. But I have one question for you, Eugene. I want you to tell me if you feel that this season somehow was significant and if you think that things are changing in fashion or about to change because of what's going on around us. That's the question I have for you. Mm. Uh, and the cynical part of me will say, no, we're not going to see a change, just like we did not see a change with coronavirus. You know, it, it's going to be business as usual, fashion cares only about itself. Uh, and <clears throat> fashion consumers, by and large, also, I think, Okay, I'm going to give this away, and please, uh, dear colleagues, don't take this idea away from me because I want to write an article about it. We have Gucci and we have Balenciaga, the two hottest brands, arguably, uh, in fashion people uh, paid pay most attention to. Are we living in the Gucci Disneyland or are we living in the post apocalyptic, dystopian, Balenciaga world. Yeah. <laughs> Fashion is so schizophrenic right now. That's what I really want people to start asking themselves. Uh, are we living in this escapist, irresponsible La La Land, infantile La La Land of Gucci? Or are we living in geopolitical conflict, global warming, this Balenciaga dystopia, because I'm having trouble reconciling which isn't and whether it actually doesn't matter and it's all just one type of fantasy or another type of fantasy and the consumers don't care and the media doesn't care either because we're championing both. And I can't figure out why. Or is the world so complex that there's room for both and everything in between? Well, I will tell you what I think is missing from these two visions. It's facing reality and getting on with things and actually incorporating reality within fashion and moving forward. Because if you think about the Gucci idea, it's regressive. It's looking backwards. It's being in a safe childhood sort of, you know, never growing up mm -hmm. space, 
this Disney thing. And the Balenciaga is also what the future could be, but it's not exactly what the future is yet, you know? It's like Black Mirror in a way. So yeah, we yeah, still yeah. have the possibility to adjust things so that they don't become like the dystopia that they could be. And Balenciaga is showing us that this is what it could become. But we can still mm -hmm. act, you know, and we can still change things. That's what I believe. So I think there's always yeah. going to be room for human agency to, uh, to face reality. We have to face reality, you know, and mm -hmm. we cannot pretend that we're living in fantasies. And these two visions are fantasies at the end of the day. No? Yeah, they, they, they really are. And uh, what's your view? Because I know we've talked a bit about there's quite a few people who are being fed up with this sort of irresponsible fantasy and, and consumerist escapism. And, and want to and, and lack of design also. <laughs> so what, what's what's your view? Well, strangely enough, you know, I I work still with younger designers, and I talk to graduates quite often. Uh, sometimes I coach them or I help them to uh, you know get into like festivals or prizes or whatever. And what I find very interesting is two things from that generation. They question everything. They don't take anything for granted. They're very critical. And at the same time, they seem to have a longing for things that they didn't know. You know, they look at fashion mm -hmm. in the 90s or the 80s and they have a longing for that. I know. Yeah. I've seen yes. that. I've seen yeah. that. This is really gives me yeah, hope. Because they understand that, you know, every fashion house every brand had a strong vision, a strong designer who, like Rick today, could touch anything and turn it into his own, you know? They see that, and I think they are longing for that. And this longing, to me, is a very, very positive thing, that things are going to change and that the tide is going to turn again, you know? I really believe that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it's too late, you know? I think we can mm -hmm. still... We can still change things uh, for the better. And the most important thing is to re-inject meaning, substance, and depth into yes. fashion. That's yes. what a lot of people are waiting for. You know, they want to see yeah. intelligent, intricate, beautiful clothes with a vision. But at the same time, they have expectations they are much higher mm -hmm. than what some people might consume today. So not everyone has the same vision or expectation of what fashion should be, you know? And I yeah. find that reassuring. Yeah. yeah. Well, that really is reassuring to hear. And, and I am glad because when we will talk about it, sometimes it gets hard. And yeah, it's quite... Yeah. I, <laughs> it's quite alienating, you know, because you need to find mm -hmm. your mark, you need to find the people you can relate to, you need to be able to have the discussions that we're having right now. I mean, that's also what creates, you know, I guess, uh, a sense of community or a sense of belonging. And fashion is also about belonging, you know, yeah. definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the reasons why this podcast exists. And this is... and. and we get a lot of positive feedback on it. Where people like, oh, we're so happy we're not crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are other people who think the same way. So it's really reassuring to hear this from you. And uh, 
I want to meet these young people. Uh, and, and I also, yeah, we have to have hope. You know, there has to be a cycle that turns up. But I tell you, it's going to be an uphill battle to because corporate fashion has uh, gotten such a chokehold on fashion. Mm. Uh, yeah. Again, it's really going to, it can, it, it's not only up to the designers, it's up to the consumers no. because every creator needs to be supported by an audience. And if the audience is brainwashed into buying love with hoodies so they can signal their pathetic status instead of buying real design, you know, it's a problem. So we need consumers who support young designers who are doing great work, and we need institutions. Yeah. We really need institutions who support them. And the only city where I see those institutions are happening, or at least the major city, is London. I don't see it in Paris, and I sure as hell don't see it in New York. CFDA ain't it. Yeah. I know, I know that for a fact. Yeah, I mean, way too many young designers. Have now there's absolutely zero interest for New York Fashion Week coming from Europe. I mean, nobody, nobody's interested. In yeah, it. nobody cares. Mm. You know, we have, you know, thank God we have Peter Doe, <laughs> who is at least doing interesting things. And otherwise, and again, you know, he's not. You know, the, the, the support is just lip service. Mm. They have to do everything by themselves. Yeah. Uh, well, on that semi-hopeful note, <laughs> semi-hopeful yes. note, but I like what I'm hearing here. Um, thank you, Philippe, unless there was anything else that you wanted to No, thank you so much. I think it was a very, very nice uh, conversation again, and I think we got to tackle, you know, some important points. So, um, yeah, I think it's uh, the messages are out there now. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks again for joining thanks us. Thanks to you, Eugene. Uh, until the next time. Okay. All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Styles I Guys podcast, hosted by Eugene Rapkin, produced by Patrick Leduc, intro and outro music by Wesley Isolt of Cold Cave. Please support us on Patreon at www patreon.com forward slash stalls i guess thank you for listening